0: A charred corpse comes back for revenge or to just scare you, <laughs> either or. And then we end Missing Persons Week with the story of Frederick Valentik, a young pilot who went missing. Simple pilot error? Or was his entire plane abducted into a UFO today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. This is our Friday episode, so I hope you guys have a lot of cool plans for the weekend. Hey, actually, if you're in the Hood River area, or if you're in Pacific Northwest, Portland, whatever, Sundiver, the band I've talked about before, they're doing a concert Saturday at River City Saloon in Hood River. I think it's like 9 to 1.30 in the morning. I'll be there. Really cool band. I don't know who the opener is, but they're trying to raise funds to get their first album recorded. So swing on by. River City Saloon. I'm not sponsored by them or anything like that. I just think they're a really cool band. You should check them out. But let's go ahead and get started here. Now, this story that I'm about to tell you is quite interesting. Actually, you know, I I think both of these stories that we're going to talk about today, I've wobbled back and forth on throughout my life. But let's go ahead and get started with our first story. For our first story, we are traveling to Ventura, California. Now, in Ventura, California, there is a place called Camp Comfort County Park. Now, if that doesn't sound like a place where a horror movie takes place, I don't know what does. Other than like Blood River or Intestine Lane. Camp Comfort sounds quite chilling, actually. And they actually have a large, they actually have, and this isn't like Ojai County, they actually have a lot of kind of spectacular ghost sightings in this area, or cryptids, however you want to call them. They have a headless motorcycle rider. I'm assuming his head just got chopped off in a motorcycle accident, although it's possible that his head got chopped off in an industrial accident at work, and he just really loved riding motorcycles. There's a bloody bride hitchhiker, which is absolutely terrifying. I mean... Driving down the road and seeing a bride in the middle of the night would be kind of creepy. But the fact that she's covered in blood, that could be like in the middle of the day in a Bel Air or Rayleigh's. You see a bloody bride. You're totally scared. You don't need to be on like a dark night road for that. There's a vampire there, supposedly. And his big black dog walking around. The vampire's in a grave. Don't be scared. You you can visit there. He's not going to attack you. But his guard dog like guards his grave. But those guys are small potatoes to who we're going to talk about today. It's a dark, moonless night in Camp Comfort County Park. You're hanging out with your bros, kicking back with a couple brews, getting a little buzzed, looking for some babes, and one of them says, not one of the babes that you're looking for, one of the guys that you're hanging out with says, hey dude, let's go to the bridge and start like just yelling random stuff off the bridge. You're like, what? What? But you're kind of buzzed, so you're like, yeah, I guess that works. I mean, maybe we'll meet some girls there in the middle of the night on this bridge in the middle of nowhere. So you guys go to the bridge. And you're driving your car. you got to shut your lights off, right, to make it extra spooky? And actually, this bridge isn't just like, well, it is just a bridge, but it has a particular name. A nickname, I should say. It's not the official county name. But the nickname is Charman Bridge. And if you stand on Charman Bridge and you yell off of it, just random phrases apparently, math equations, recipes for muffins, whatever, a horribly burned, scarred man will run out of the forest, skin smelling like burnt flesh, and he'll chase you back to your car. That's not you making that noise, that's the Charman coming after you. And you get in your car and you drive away and he's banging on your windows, bloody pieces of bandages falling off in your car, and actually that you don't notice it because there's always a there's your car so messy, anyways. It's not until later when you're finally cleaning it after three months you find a decaying human flesh in your car. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot. Charman Bridge, you put it in your scrapbook. So, what is the story of Charman and the Charman's Bridge? Actually, here's a good question: which came first? Was there a bridge called Charman Bridge? And then the Charman decided, that sounds, it sounds like home. Or, it's just a place where a horribly disfigured, burnt ghost hangs out. And that's why the name did that. Now, there's a couple different theories about, so uh, let me say this. Charman has been sighted for decades. And there's tons of sightings of this guy running through the woods. And so for the most part, people think it's some sort of ghost. Sometimes you just yell off the bridge and he shows up. Sometimes you have to say, help me, help me. And he comes coming after you. He doesn't come after you to help you. He comes after you to like, you know, and I don't know if anyone's ever reportedly actually been caught or dragged off by the charman. But there's multiple origin stories for this one. In 1948, there was a huge fire in the area. And a father and a son both caught on fire. (laughs) The father dies. The son is simply badly burned. And for what, so that's the setup. And then this is where your 12-year-old brother decides to make it a little creepier. So, father and son burn in a fire. Father dies. Son is badly burned. When the rescue workers get to the house, the son has skinned the father's burnt corpse and hung his body from a tree and ran off. So the implication is either he's wearing his father's skin or he just wanted to skin his father anyways and the fire made it convenient. There's another origin of Charman connected to that same fire in 1948. It was a husband and wife caught in a fire. They're in a house. <laughs> Fires going everywhere. Timbers are breaking. Backdraft is happening. So, father, not father, a husband and a wife. Well, she might have called him daddy. But a husband and a wife were in the house. And the fire like like the fire like, gets all dramatic and stuff. So, they're separated. But they can look at each other from across the flames. But he's all burnt up. And she's getting burnt up and his injuries, he can't get to her in time and she dies and he army crawls out of the house all burnt flesh and everything runs off into the woods. And so that's why if you yell, help me, help me, he comes after you in that other version because the wife the whole time was like, help me, help me. And he couldn't from his injuries or also connected to that same fire in 1948, a firefighter died fighting that fire. So you have those three origin stories to who the Charman Man is. The thing is, is that nobody died in that fire. That was a real fire, and it was a really big fire historically. But there wasn't a single casualty in that fire. So definitely not like a father and the son, or the mom, or the, uh, what was it, father, son, and the wife, and the husband. And uh, no firefighters died. There may have been some vagrant tooling around out there that got burnt. But as far as they know, nobody died during that fire, and especially none of those stories are true. There's another, The first time I heard about Charman was this one, that there was a car accident, and a guy got like horribly burned, and before the rescue crew could get there, he ran off into the woods on fire, and what Charman is is basically his ghost coming back. Now, the idea of Charman always, always really scared me. I don't know why. I thought it was real creepy, because it's kind of like a ghost that's in eternal pain, and he comes after you. We have a type of Char Man up in Oregon called the Bandage Man, which is pretty much the same thing without the fire. It's just He's just wrapped in horrible, like, gross-smelling bandages. He jumps in the back of your car, and then you drive away and you find band- pieces of bloody bandages in your car, which, again, most guys won't notice until, like, three months later. But Char Man's the same thing, except he is burnt. He, just, he has some bandages on him, but he's not like a mummy. Bandage Man is kind of like a mummy that runs really fast. So it's weird that, I think that's probably a legend that is, it's scary, and it works, and it, that means it's probably universal. There's probably a lot of places with stories of a Charmin-type character. But what's interesting, too, is that there's a plausible explanation for this that I've actually heard connected to other ghost sightings. And I can't remember the first time I heard of this, but this whole story is just really, really weird. I'm really questioning like how much of it is true at all. Obviously, I don't think the Charman is necessarily true. But in the 1960s, there this is what people think the plausible explanation was for the Charman. This is what the police believe. Because obviously, they're not out there trying to arrest you know the Charman and get booking photos for him. Back in the 1960s, there was a guy with horrible, horrible skin cancer. And he would go for walks at night so he wouldn't scare people. And teenagers would be driving down the road and they would see this horribly disfigured guy walking around. And they'd go, oh my god, it's a ghost. It's the Charman. They think that all those legends were retroactively created because this guy with this horrible skin disease was walking around at night. So they didn't scare him. And it would make sense because if a bunch of teenagers were yelling at you, you may be yelling back and may be perceived to be chasing them. And then that would be that. So that's how that legend grew. But what's so weird is that I'm sure I heard that story about someone with skin cancer walking around and people thinking it was a monster on the East Coast as well. Like that exact same logical explanation. I'm not saying there's only one person with skin cancer who who walks around at night, but I thought it was really weird that I've heard that explanation for other monster sightings before. And they're like, oh, no, he was a really nice guy. He'd always walk around. And the one I saw was actually more recent. They had they interviewed the guy. It wasn't from the 1960s. What's a, and again, it's super weird. I actually got a YouTube comment just a couple days ago on from Scar TV, and it was about my video about people with the glass delusion. And he says, "I heard once about a hippie who took LSD and thought he was a glass of orange juice," and. When, because he was tripping so hard, and when finally it fried his brain completely, and finally one day someone bumped into him, and he was so sure he was a glass of orange juice that he fell over, he broke, like, not literally, but in his mind, he broke like glass, and the orange juice went everywhere. And it's so funny because when I was in high school, I heard that my buddy Sam, I put an exact name to it, took so much acid that he thought he was an orange, and if you, and he's in a mental hospital now, and if you touched him, he would go, "Don't squeeze me, don't squeeze me. Orange juice will come out." Now, I don't believe. I at the time, I totally believed that. Sorry, Sam, if you're listening to the show, at the time, I totally believed that. But I think that's a total urban legend. I think that the orange juice—it's because really, what are the chances of two people thinking they're a barrel of orange juice or just an orange? So weird. I think for some reason, that's a really—I think that's a common urban legend too. LSD and oranges. Now, I'm sure at one point somebody was dressed up as someone took so much acid they thought there was an orange and that's where that story comes from. I'm sure at one point a man with skin cancer was walking down the street and people thought he was a monster. A guy caught on fire after a car accident and booked it in the woods and they never found his body. Those are all possible things. I just think it's interesting how easy it is for these urban legends to kind of morph. And even their logical explanation, I think, is simply another urban legend from another place. And they just go, ah, we'll just move that excuse over here. So Charmin, if you're out there, Charmin of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your bandages. I, I think we really need to have a Cryptid Olympics. I know I talked about that before. But I think we really need to find out who is the top dog of all these monsters of mayhem. And we'll see if we can get that figured out for Season 5. But Charman really scared me as a kid. I wouldn't tempt fate and pull over on the side of a bridge and yell at him today. But yeah, it's just weird. It's weird. It's weird that that bandage imagery and the skin cancer dude. And even the orange juice and the LSD. All just they weird universal things. Or... I live in the Matrix, and stuff just keeps repeating over and over again. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story, again, is a story that I totally believed in when I first heard it, and it terrified me. And then I started to research it for the episode, and I go, "Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. And now I have a different conclusion. It's, it was really weird. But for this one, we are going to sunny, sunny Australia. I'm assuming it's sunny down there. I mean, it's at the bottom of the world, so it gets, like, extra sun because it's, like, technically closer to it. And it's big, so there's more sunlight per square foot. It's all dirt because I saw a couple documentaries about Australia uh, called uh, The Road Warrior and Mad Max, Fury Road. So we're going to Australia, and there we are going to meet a young pilot, a young man named Frederick Valentik. Now, Frederick Valentik always wanted to be a pilot and... He had a fascination with UFOs. Kind of makes sense. But his father said he didn't just have a fascination with UFOs. He was actually quite paranoid about being abducted by them. So it was a little more beyond reading Fate Magazine or Fortean Times or anything like that. He actually was scared of UFOs. Now, I will sit around and think all the time, what would I do if zombies attacked right now? What would be my plan of if zombies came here right now at my work or while I'm at home? How would I defend myself for the first 24, 72 hours? I wonder if people do that with UFOs. I wonder if people are like, if I get abducted tonight, what am I going to do? Am I going to like start, like ball my fist up and start swinging? Am I going to reach for that? Like, I because I can run full simulations in my mind about a zombie apocalypse or even like terrorists taking over my job and it's like Nakatomi Plaza and and I'm like crawling through air vents, which obviously wouldn't be constructed for a dude my size, but all that stuff, the air vents just collapse and they all of the terrorists are like lined up right underneath the air vent I'm crawling in and they just all get crushed. I wonder if people do that with UFOs and stuff like that. Not like, oh yeah, I'm imagining I'm the first guy to get on a UFO and I'm like super popular. I'm talking about like the bad side of it. You get abducted. Do you, I wonder if people sit in like want to say fantasize but mentally prepare themselves for that but anyway so he was kind of like that where he was paranoid of getting abducted by UFOs now he wanted to be a pilot the problem was he wasn't a very good pilot he actually was having a really hard time keeping his pilot license he kept failing his flying tests to be an official pilot, he, can't, he just couldn't pass the muster. He's like sitting there, he's cramming, it's a music montage, he's doing all of his stuff. He's flying his plane, he's waking up in the morning, he's eating his pancakes in the shape of planes. Like, that's all he can think of. So he cannot pass tests to get his pilot's license. He just can't do it. He keeps flying, though, getting those hours in, getting that training in. He's already been in trouble for flying into secured airspace. Which, obviously, just from the word of it, you would know you can't do that. I think even a person who's never flown in a plane knows if they see the term secured airspace, they're like, oh, I guess you don't go there? And they'd be like, yeah, you'd be correct. He got in trouble twice. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know this was a problem. And again, I don't think any uh, non-pilot civilian would ever think this was a problem. Frederick Valentich got in trouble twice. And was about to be prosecuted for purposely flying into clouds. What is the point of being a pilot if you can't fly into a cloud? That is the only reason why I think anyone would want to be a pilot. Your entire life, your entire childhood, especially you look up, you see those soft, white, fluffy things. And you want to do one of two things. You want to sit on them like the care bears or you want to fly through them like Superman what I did not know that was a thing I I can I when I read that I was like really really you're gonna prosecute this guy you're going to prosecute this pilot he's like flying and sees like a soft fluffy cotton candy mass towards him and he goes through it that's supernatural not like well I'm that super that's supernatural to do I guess I should say You're going to, that's ridiculous. And I guess you could say, well, who knows? Like, what if an other plane, planes know where other planes are. Like, it's not like planes are just flying randomly through the sky and you might hit a plane in a cloud. It's a cloud. Come on, you can't fly through clouds. Can you imagine? I don't think he would have went to jail for it, but they would have probably stripped him of all of his flight privileges. But going to jail for flying through a cloud might be the worst thing to go to jail for you're not going to get respect from anybody. Why are you in? Uh, I flew through a couple clouds. Actually, you probably would. They'd probably be like, I wish I could fly through clouds. And then they beat you up for doing the one dream they could never have. But here we are. Frederick Valentich always wanted to be a pilot, obsessed with UFOlogy, paranoid about being abducted by UFOs, and is on the verge of possibly losing all of his flight privileges for flying through two clouds. Separate occasions. They weren't two clouds in a row. He went through one, and then they're like, Valantik, what are you doing? That's it. One more cloud, and you're out of the skies. And he's like, oh, man. And then one day he's just flying, he flies through another cloud. But it was on purpose. Like, I guess they saw him, like, eyeing it. He's like, hmm, that looks kind of soft. I don't think anyone can see me up here at 10,000 feet. Meow. Valentik. So anyways, he's on the verge of losing his flying privileges. All he ever wants to do is fly. It's October 21st, 1978. Valentik is flying shortly after sunset. No clouds in sight. He's like, aw. He's flying through the sky, obviously. I don't know why he paused there. Flying through the sky. And he radios into the air traffic control. He says that there is a what he appears to be a plane following him. Can't figure it out. A large aircraft is how he describes it. And and so air traffic control is like, well, we're not showing anything out there. And he's like, well, I'm seeing something. It has these lights. It has like these four lights. He describes it as a sort of metallic looking, shiny. It moves from underneath him to like behind him. To, he's watching this thing move around him, but it's at a distance from him. It's not super close. But he sees it. Now, as air traffic control is talking to him, and they have the full transcript online. They don't have the recording. But as air traffic control is talking to him, they start to hear his microphone cut out. And at one point, it sounds like his engine might be acting. up. So this is the ending of the transcript here. This is Valentik over the, um, not over the phone. This is Valentik over the radio saying what's going on. What I'm doing right now is orbiting and the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic like. It's all shiny on It just vanished. It's uh nor now approaching from the southwest. The engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23, 24 and the thing is coughing. Air traffic control cuts in and says, What are your intentions? Valentech replies, My intentions, my intentions are uh, to go to King Island, uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft. It's hovering on top of me again. It's hovering and... Now that wasn't a special effect for a dramatic effect. And actually... There's a, this is the one place where I've seen a little bit of difference. So in the transcript for the flight control records, after his last, it is hovering and the microphone is open for 17 seconds. So his microphone is still on for 17 seconds after that. And what is listed in the transcript is a very strange pulse noise is also audible during this transmission. So for 17 minutes, sorry, for 17 seconds, you can't hear Frederick, but you heard they heard this for about 17 seconds. Now, the other thing I heard, and this is how they reported it, Unsolved Mysteries did this years ago, is, and I've read this this account a couple times too. When he ends, it is hovering, and they hear. This is the story I originally heard. They heard what sounded like metal scraping on metal for 17 seconds, basically. So he's talking, and that's all. And they have no idea what happened to Frederick Valentik. Obviously, the, the line goes dead. They heard either the pulse or the sound of metal on metal colliding and it's like scraping. So it wasn't just like a BAM! It was like this long scrape. Like something brushed up alongside of it. Like a UFO had landed on top of it. They're a huge search party for this dude. And they never found him. They never found his plane. What they've come to... The theories that have kind of been settled on in the investigation is they think it was one of five things. One, well, I should say they think as one of four things. One, he was misreading the gauges and he was pulling up on his stick. There's this thing called the Death Spiral where it's super weird there's a ton more information the links but basically an idiot's version of it because i'm the one saying it is when you're turning your plane if you turn your plane at a if you turn your plane and move your head at the same time the liquid in your ears that tells you whether or not you're standing up straight doesn't move so you can be in turning doing a sharp turn but your brain will tell you you're flying straight because the equilibrium little liquid or the hairs in your ears is what it is, aren't swaying. It's super bizarre. You wonder how many pilots had to die before they, they finally figured this out. But if your head is turning with the turn or against the turn or something like that, your ears think you're going straight. And so you keep spinning and your brain's like, oh, no, you're standing, you're going straight, dude. And that's why it's so important for pilots to have to learn how to fly by instruments. And some pilots have to have blinders put on them during training so they can only look at their instruments. So they get used to looking at their instruments. Because if if all that's in front of you is blue, you're really not going to know whether or not you're spinning or not. It sounds funny because in the movies it looks pretty obvious, but you're just surrounded by blue. It's pretty easy to lose. So I think that might have been what happened. Death spiral. He was flying upside down. Now, these are all things of of why he disappeared. We'll get to the UFO stuff in a second, but... Other thing is that he accidentally ended up flying upside down. Because, again, this is after sunset, so this isn't even all blue. It's all black. It's nighttime. He just has the lights of his plane. Death spiral, possible. Flying upside down, accidentally, is possible. Suicide. People think that he could have crashed his plane on purpose... Because he was going to lose his pilot license anyways. And what better way to go out than to start the legend that you uh, got abducted by UFOs. And what's funny is I talked, when I mentioned, I did a story a while back about the guy who wanted to get abducted by aliens. And he built a house and made like a UFO. And then he drove out in the woods and blew himself up with dynamite. And everyone thought he was abducted for like four or five years. But it turns out he just killed himself because he wanted that story. I hinted about this story in that one because I said there's another one where he may have killed himself to pretend that he got abducted by aliens. The fourth possibility is that he faked his death and landed his plane and ran off into the wilderness. There was a plane seen landing at Cape Otway in Australia, and it looked like his style of plane, but there's never been anything to substantiate that. Obviously, the fifth answer is alien abduction. So let's take a look at the sighting itself. Now, what's really weird is he's talking about this UFO flying around, and he's describing this light formation. And the general consensus among the investigators and among just skeptics in general said the light formation that he is describing is actually very common. It's like Venus, Mars. It's like these four... Planets that kind of make a diamond or something like that. And I was like, I've never heard of that explanation before. But I live in a city with a lot of light pollution. I've always grown up around light pollution. So I don't really ever get to see the the stars. Only you can see like the big ones. So, I mean, they're all big generally. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't get to ever really see the Milky Way. I remember I've seen it maybe once or twice in my life because I've always grown up in light pollution areas. I never just look out and go, whoa. It's always like just a couple stars and a moon for me. But that was kind of the common thing. They said, listen, there's this thing that pilots see at night. It does kind of look like if it's moving and da-da-da-da. And I was like, I'm not really buying that. Now, when I first heard about this story, it totally terrified me because you imagine this young man flying this plane and a large UFO showing up over it and scraping across the top of it and either forcing it into the ground or into the ocean or opening up and swallowing it whole and we never find him again. As I was researching it for the show, I was like, uh, he probably killed himself. Like, when I was looking more into the circumstances of it, I was like, it, it kind of checks those boxes again. He was about to lose his pilot's license. You know, check, he's going through tough times. He's a big fan and a scaredy cat of UFOs, so that adds the legend, check. But, and then as I was getting ready to record this episode, I was taking another look at it, and I said, I just, I think that's kind of jumping to a conclusion that that's i mean that would suck to lose your pilot license but i mean it's not the end of the world and it would be really hard not only to fake your death via ufo but to make sure no one ever found wreckage of your plane like i could see someone being like oh i'm gonna kill myself i'm gonna drive out to the woods with some dynamite and they won't find me for x amount of years if ever but he was crashing a plane that was being tracked and into the ocean and hoping that no one would ever find it or get out there in time for him to be rescued and stuff like that. So they have found now pieces of his of a plane near King's Island, which he was talking about. And they said this is similar to the make and model of the plane that Valentick would have been flying. But it's like the size of your arm. It's not like a huge chunk of it. So. Most likely his plane suffered some sort of, I think the death spiral or flying upside down on accident is more likely than the suicide or even the alien thing. but you got to imagine you got to imagine. I sit around all day and I daydream about the zombies coming and what I not daydream, but I, I don't want to even say worry, but it's this weird mental state where I'm f- wondering what would happen if zombies showed up now. And I know full well in the back of my head the chances of zombies ever attacking is infinitesimally small. It won't happen. The chances of me being caught up in some sort of terrorist event is infinitesimally small. And I would say that if you sat around and you were scared and paranoid about being abducted by aliens, it would also be infinitesimally small. But what if you did? What if when you were a little kid you were scared of the gray aliens? As you got older, you couldn't even look at the cover of the book Communion. You stayed away from movies that had alien characters in them. You didn't even like funny, cute, little green men on people's t-shirts. They always terrified you. They were from the skies, and they haunted your dreams. And one of the things you figured you could do to overcome your fear would be to explore the skies yourself. Take back a little bit of that power. And that fear that you had, that everyone laughed at when you told them, yeah, I'm afraid of aliens. That fear that you had, that gut reaction you had when you saw those creatures. You figured it was just like people being scared of clowns or scared of spiders. It was just a totally ridiculous fear. Until the day that UFO opened up, swallowed your plane, and your fear became a reality. It's not common that someone dies from what they're paranoid of. It's not often that someone dies in the way of their worst possible fear. But it's possible. Frederick Valentich did. Radio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter.